It's show 34 of the Rim Pro Report. Today, we'll be interviewing Robert Miller and Vlad Vasek of K2 Partners. As well, we'll be taking a look at the latest industry news. This show is exclusively sponsored by our good friends at O'Neill Software. Their RSSQL product is the most competitively priced technology solution in the RIM market today. Their RS Mobile scanning product lets you complete record center tasks directly from your wireless handheld. And O'Neill's RSWeb.net puts the power of information at your client's fingertips anytime, day or night, from anywhere in the world. Just a mouse click away. For more info, contact them or learn more at O'Neillsoft.com. You ready? I'm ready. All right, here we go. Welcome to the Rim, Rim, Rim Pro Reports, the one and only weekly broadcast for the Rim Support Services industry. Bustling with news, views, here's what I believe, and the latest updates. That's just them. The show is full of interesting information, stories, yes, important product and service reviews, yes, and a cast of industry characters included. Yes. <laughs> Record center operators, shred and destruction vendors, media and electronic vaulters, scanners and imaging providers. Take note, this show is for you. Now, here's your host, Tom Adams. That's right, this show is for you. If you're in any of those industries, we're here for you, and I am glad you are here. It's the middle of April, and if you're in North America, Tax time is looming. I hope you're ready to go. Uh, but it's a good day. It's a great show, and we're glad you are here. Welcome to the boardroom. Well, thank you. It looks like Donald Trump's in the uh, studio today. Although, Donald, I should be welcoming you instead. Today is really a day about what happens in the boardroom. And uh, as luck would have it, we have Robert Miller and Vlad Vasek of K2 Partners as our special guests as well. So, yeah, this is my boardroom. But uh, how are you doing today, Donald? Well, I'm very pessimistic. Doesn't sound very good. What's wrong? You want to talk about it? I speak of the atrocities that we as a nation must endure. Well, that, that, that can't be all bad, Donald, can it? Look at our economy. Barely moving, gasping for air, and desperately clinging to life. Very much like Larry King. <laughs> Larry King, yeah, well, uh, he's a uh, interviewer much like myself. Well, I, I guess that's true, but I'm, I'm sure Larry King doesn't appreciate that comment. America is going through tough times. And we all need to laugh. Well, yeah, I guess in that case, a few joke at Larry's expense can't hurt. So in the laughing spirit, it seems to me you might choose to run for president? Well, I'm thinking about it. Uh, I'm looking at what's happening with this country. And frankly, it's very sad. I, I see what's happening left and right, how we're being abused by other nations. And I don't mm. like it. I don't like what's happening with jobs. I am seriously thinking about it. Well, good luck with that then, Donald. Uh, no matter what your political aspirations are, I'm, I'm really glad you decided to join us here on the Rim Pro Report today. What a great honor it must be for you to honor me tonight. Well, the show was not so much about honoring you. Uh, it, I'm, you know... I'm glad you showed up. So how's it going with that Celebrity Apprentice show that you're doing? It must be fun to work with all those celebrities. They're all losers, and I love what? associating with losers oh. because it makes me feel better about myself and makes them feel better about me. Well, that's uh, hmm, 
very harsh. So what else is going on? Are you what are, what are you keeping busy with these days besides Apprentice? Well, pretty much I went on various television shows and bashed Rosie O'Donnell. Oh, you're not you're not still mad at her, are you? That that was like years ago. You need to let it go. It'll eat you up inside. Well, anyways, that's enough of the chit-chat. we got a big show today. Uh, let's get on with the business at hand. This great country of ours was built on its entrepreneurial spirit. Well, I, I know, and that's very true, Donald. So what I want to do is get on with the show so that we can talk about that stuff in the rim industry. So let's get over to the news. Well, it looks like the office of the Massachusetts Attorney General has reached a $110,000 settlement with the Breyer Group, a company that owns and operates a number of bars and restaurants in Boston, concerning allegations that the company failed to take reasonable steps to protect its patrons' information after finding out its computer systems had been hacked. According to the Attorney General's office, the Breyer Group put the payment card information of tens of thousands of consumers at risk of theft. So looks like they're settling that one. Uh, in a move that signals the upcoming increased enforcement of high-tech and HIPAA, attorney generals from across the U.S., as well as their staff, will attend enforcement training conducted by Health and Human Services Office of Civil Rights. That's the government division charged with enforcing the new privacy-related high-tech and HIPAA laws. The training will help ensure the state attorneys general that states... The state attorneys general will better be prepared to carry out their new authority under High Tech Act in enforcing HIPAA, the Office of Civil Rights Director Susan McAndrew said. So that's the kind of stuff that just keeps ramping up and that supports the much of the work we're doing in our industry. Hey, I sat in on the Nade Physicians Web Marketing webinar yesterday from that uh, Bob Johnson did and... I'm going to encourage you, if you're on the shredding side of the rim business and specifically you need to be involved in NAID, but uh, use the resources and this unique approach they are using to help attract medical clients to your business with specific PHI requirements. Bob Johnson and the NAID team are bang on in helping you get more medical practices as your client. Bob mentioned that the webinar would be recorded, so if you didn't get to hear it yesterday, it sounds like you'll be able to access it later. Hey, uh, Iron Mountain saga continues. Elliott Management Corp. has stepped up its proxy battle with management by providing investors with a presentation that highlights the company's sliding share price under current CEO Bob Brennan. Since Brennan took over as CEO in June 2008, Iron Mountain shares have struggled. The stock was off about 11% during his tenure before Elliott Management Corp.'s proposals for shaking up the company became public in early March. The hedge fund is taking credit for a recent resurgence in Iron Mountain stock, which is up 16% over the past month. Elliott, which oversees two hedge funds with nearly $17 billion in management, unveiled a 100-day plan that calls for hiring outside consultants and financial advisors while beginning a full review of all strategic alternatives. So uh, interested in what continues to happen over there in Ironland. It's always interesting. You're fired. Well, no one's fired yet, Donald. It's just interesting. Hey, another thing about Iron. Iron's officially abandoning their cloud stuff. So they've withdrawn the low-cost public cloud offering to focus on their more specialized services. It's been reported this week uh, by Iron Mountain Digital, which has been in the cloud for a little more than a year. 
Now, they're planning to completely phase out all online storage business by 2013. Uh, April 1st, I believe they stopped selling it effect officially. No other major cloud storage player has ever pulled out of the sector, but it's not a complete retreat. Uh, Iron Mountain has reportedly notified customers it's only withdrawing its virtual file store and archive service platform, commodity cloud storage solutions, which means the company isn't competing with the massive players like Google and Amazon for a share of the low-cost public cloud storage market and will really focus on its more specialized services instead. Hey, another acquisition to announce. Retrievex announced the acquisition of Millennium Records Management of Franklin, Mass. Millennium provides hard copy and data vault storage, as well as electronic imaging and confidential destruction services in Franklin, Massachusetts. I already said that. The transaction broadens the company's already wide base. This is Retrievex base, and they've, they've really been uh, on a, a sort of slow and steady roll to, to get um, business throughout the U.S., including northern and central New Jersey, Philly, and and the likes. So they have really expanded their footprint again with uh, the purchase of Millennium. Hey, this is interesting. The Shredding Alliance has a, secured a partnership with the UK's leading supplier of paper, board, and plastics, the Robert Horn Group, and its closed-loop paper recycling service, Yo-Yo, to ensure customers' confidential waste paper is disposed of in compliance with the Data Protection Act. Uh, Yo-Yo is a really clever but simple way of dealing with paper that saves organizations money and reduces their impact on the environment. The closed-loop cycle prolongs the fiber life of every piece of collected paper as Yo-Yo sources, delivers, collects, and recycles uh, customers' office paper. So the cool thing about this is it's it's like a closed-loop recycling process. So TSA, the, the Shredding Alliance in the UK, basically collects the paper, shreds it, puts it into the Yo-Yo stream, as it were, and Yo-Yo turns around and delivers it back to the clients as recycled paper. And the, the whole point of this, I think, is really kind of cool, um, that there, there is this perpetual loop. And paper is really all the paper that's either going into the recycling system, through the shredding system, into the recycling system, is all kept within this Yo-Yo, what they call their fiber bank. And uh, it's just it's a guarantee that the yo-yo source paper is returned to the fiber bank and back again. So I, I thought that was kind of cool, and I wanted to share that with you. Here is another cool idea, and as you know, I love cool ideas. This company is called Earth Class Mail, and there's going to be a link on the RimProReport.com website if you want it, but the concept is straightforward. Earth Class Mail kind of sounds like First Class Mail, kind of interesting. Basically, you sign up for account, fill out a USPS form granting Earth Class Mail permission to receive mail on your behalf, and then change your mailing address to point to one of its addresses, and they have them in 19 cities across the U.S., rather than your office or home or wherever. When a piece of mail arrives for you at Earth Class Mail, the company scans the outside of it, or if it's a large package, takes a picture of the box and sends you an email notification. You can then log into the company's secure website to view this image and request that Earth Class Mail do any of the several things. They can open the mail, scan its contents, and make them available as a downloadable PDF. Uh, they can hold the mail for pickup, and that's only at certain facilities. They can recycle or shred the mail. They can forward ship the mail with your choice of carriers and delivery types anywhere in the world, 
or they can electronically deposit any checks found in the mail to your bank account. Finally, they could. one of the options is to archive the mail in the company's secure facility. So here's the deal, and I tell you this about Earth-class mail because most of you listening to me right now already have all of the back-end capabilities to do this, but this company is actually taking the exact same equipment and capabilities and doing something very cool and very different. I hope that gets your head spinning. I think it's really cool. The fees look great, high volume, high margin, um, or high margin fees it looks like, and consistent recurring revenue, which we all like. Worth checking out and thinking a little bit about it. So that's it for the news. We got, uh, I, I'm really looking forward to talking to Robert Miller and Vlad of K2 Partners on the line soon. So yeah, there's the end of the news. Look how great my hair looks, and I don't use anything. Well. Donald, your hair does look good, but it's not that important right now. I hope you listen into this conversation. I suspect you'll find some great stuff in it. As I've already uh, said earlier in the show, we're pleased to have Bob Miller and Vlad Vasek of K2 Partners, and they are both on the line today. Uh, Bob and Vlad, are you both there? Yes, Tom, we are. Hey, wonderful. Yes, we are, Tom. How are you? Great. Hey, it's great to have you both on the show. Uh, before we jump into what you guys are doing now, tell me first a little bit of your own story. Uh, Bob, let's start with you. Where Where are you from? What, what's your background? Uh, born and raised in New Jersey, but spent the majority of my adult life in the South, uh, worked with Iron Mountain. I was actually started with Bell & Hound, was acquired by Iron Mountain, oh. like a lot of people, a long time ago, and was there for 25 years, almost to the day, uh, in May of last year, when I left to start K2. So 20, 25 years, wow, That's and you did a lot of work in the international market, right? You did a lot of work on, in uh, Asia? Yeah, I spent the majority of my career was in the U.S., and then Iron Mountain had made a decision to invest in Asia Pack, and I led that uh, led that business. A lot of fun. Cool. And uh, Vlad, tell me a little bit about your story. Right, I uh, kind of come around the world a couple of times. Uh, actually, born in uh, in Prague in what is now the Czech Republic. Uh, lived in Australia most of my life, and been in the U.S. Uh, since '99 uh, continuously. I've been kicking around the business world probably longer than I care to remember. I've <laughs> um, been involved with the document information management industry since uh, 1994. I started with Recall in Australia, uh, where I headed up the shredding business firstly in Sydney and then uh, on a national basis. Um, as a company, we were NAID members since 1995, and uh, actually I haven't missed a NAID conference since 99. Wow. I started to get involved in the North American shredding scene in 99 and uh, put together a business plan for recalls entry into the shredding business in North America back then. And at the end of uh, 99, uh, I moved my family permanently to the U.S. Um, in 2000, I joined Iron Mountain and I became president of the shredding division, which uh, back then had a staff of one, yours truly. Wow. Um, we, had a, we had a plan to... Uh, either establish or acquire shredding operations in all of the major North American markets, and uh, we set out to buy a lot of different companies. We also started from the ground up in a number of cities. So, so you know, as the business continue, 
I'm sorry. No, no. So you obviously, you know, you you've you've seen it all. If you if you were both on the recall side and and international, and then the the whole you started the Iron Mountain shredding side of the equation. You've you've really had a, a tremendous amount of experience across a lot of different areas. Then. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've kind of seen the industry develop, and uh, what was interesting was that back in back in the late nineties, uh, I think what we had going in Australia was, was probably, uh, you know, ahead of what was in the U.S. from what we saw. Um, we came, we were looking in about 96 to put in new equipment, and uh, one of our people came across to the U.S. to kind of look at uh, what we thought was uh, was was the bigger and the, and, and the better and everything else to look for best practice, and uh, he came back and said, what we've got now is probably better than anything I've seen. Wow, and uh, that didn't stop us. That didn't stop us going above and beyond. But um, you know, in the nineties, I guess uh, we kind of let the world. Um, when I look back now at uh, what's happening, I think the U.S. is ahead of everybody else. Uh, certainly ahead of uh, ahead of Europe and probably ahead of Australia. Although Australia is starting to pick up again. Yeah. So with that history, the two of you obviously are connected in the Iron Mountain um, in the Iron Mountain world. What? sort of facilitated or what was the genesis of the idea for K2 Partners? Uh, I'll take that one, Vlad. Yeah. Um, Sorry, I well, meant to ask we, you. You know, we, as as, uh, as you heard Vlad say, we have a lot of experience and have been in the industry for a long time. And a big part of what we did was buy, sell, integrate, and run companies. Yeah. And that was, you know, that was a, just a fun time to be in the industry and be in, uh, you know, Ross Engelman, our other partner, was with Pierce Leahy at the time. I was with Iron Mountain, and Vlad was with Recall at various parts of our career. And this was something that we always, you know, we kind of enjoyed doing, and it just made a lot of sense. And when I decided to leave Iron Mountain, it was an opportunity that just kind of landed in my lap, and, you know, it was kind of the moons and the stars all lined up right. Yeah. And by dint of just complete dumb luck, we got in at a perfect time. Uh, you know, over the past few years, the old volume was down. Uh, the strategic guys weren't buying anybody, and wouldn't have been a good business to be in for the last two or three years. Right, but you've obviously made this decision to jump into this. You're uh, approximately a year in now, um, so g- give me a, a, a full sense of what you guys do, um, Vlad. I'll ask you first. What what are what's K two Partners actually doing in the world? Well, what, what K2 Partners does, um, in, and I guess what makes it different, is that um, we come at mergers and acquisitions from an operating background. Um, as Bob said, we've, we've bought and sold and managed and run and integrated companies along, uh, uh, in all parts of the business. But on the way, we've probably been instrumental in uh, about 150 acquisitions amongst the three of us. So... Rather than coming at it from the financial end, which is uh, kind of traditionally where M&A companies uh, operate, um, we come at it from the operating end, so we understand the business, um, we know how to we know how to analyze it, we know how to present it, and we know how to best position it. And uh, when we when we present it to our potential buyers, we know how to position it in terms of what they're looking for. Right. Um, as I said, the fact that we've done 150 acquisitions along the way doesn't get us straight. Yeah, you 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 guys have a, a huge amount under your belt, obviously between you. 
So you you talk about the new approach. Is that the new approach really? Uh, and I'm going to ask you this, Bob. Is the new approach about your operations perspective, or is there something more than that in your approach? Um, I, I guess I would answer that by by being to be brutally honest. We've made about every mistake you could make uh, coming up in the business. Yeah. Um, both having run very small businesses and very large businesses. And as Vlad pointed out, there are a lot of people who are very good in the deal side, but they're generally financial engineer types, and they've not run businesses. So the interesting stuff that's happening in print fulfillment, the interesting stuff that's happening in business process management, the interesting stuff that's happening in data protection, and some of the ancillary spaces in our broadly defined document and information management space, um, you know, are things that we, we actually know intimately because we've run them before. Right. That's what's there for Okay. So that that is really what you're considering the new approach. Um, I, I, I know in the whole area of, of M&A work, fees often become a, you know, are, are something that everybody's scared of or concerned about. Do you, do you guys have a unique approach or a new approach to fee structure? Well, I wouldn't say it's unique. I, I think people get worked up about the whole issue around fees, and it is just its stunning to me the difference in prices that buyers pay between sole-sourced deals and deals where there is an advisor in the middle. Where a buyer sells, uh, buys directly from a seller, the seller always leaves big money on the table something like 40-plus percent. It's just amazing to me. Yet our fees are basically what you'd pay to sell your house. Hmm. When you sell your house, the data disclosure rules are de facto regulated. It's it's not a high-value-add, you know, high-intellectual capital transaction. Right. Selling your business is a very high-value-add, very high-intellectual uh, capital transaction. And it it's just very interesting to me to see the differences in valuations um, and how some very good operators who have built very nice businesses sold them cheap. Yeah. Well, and they, so and, that, that's how. Okay. So, so essentially you're, you're bringing the operational perspective, uh, a, a really intense understanding of that proven by years of experience and bringing that to the table. And you're saying potentially getting, up to 40% more in terms of deal flow for them at a real estate broker price. <laughs> I, I mean, yeah. I'm saying it, I'm saying it simply, yeah. but I, I uh, guess that's, that's how I understood what you just said. Pretty damn close. Cool. Well, hey, I, I, and so what I'm interested in, and I know K2 is doing some good stuff, and this show is not about selling K2. It's about understanding the unique perspective that you guys have and, and how that can help people. And for me, when I talk to people, I keep hearing, you know, there's so much acquisition stuff going on, and people are unsure whether to sell or not. And, and obviously, people like you have a great deal of perspective on what's going on. So what are you seeing? And I'm going to start with Vlad, because Vlad, you're more on the confidential destruction you have more expertise in that area. What are you seeing in the acquisition space, in the the, either merger space, in in the M&A work you're doing uh, or developing? What are you seeing in the confidential destruction space? It's a hot, fast, booming market right now. From your perspective, uh, what's going on as it relates to buying and buying and selling of companies? Well, that's that's a great question, Tom. 
and you know, I would say, firstly, uh, what I always find really interesting is that the universe. We all think of uh, the need of the universe for shredding companies, but in actual fact, it's a lot bigger than that. And I would I would estimate, you know, there's probably a thousand companies in need, and there's probably three to four thousand companies out there of various shapes and sizes. Uh, so there, there is a larger subset. Right. Um, I think, you know, one of the trends, as Bob just mentioned, uh, there's a very diverse range of valuations depending on whether the deal is sole-sourced or whether it's being competitively marketed to multiple bidders. Um, I think, you know, we're seeing a lot of activity, actually, and, you know, not just from the major companies, but uh, from the private equity groups, uh, both existing and new entrants, and uh, we've also seen a lot of interest from single market operators looking to expand by buying a local competitor. I mean, I, I remember when we first started, I sent out a kind of welcome announcement letter and um, a lot of people rang me up or sent me emails saying, hey, I want to buy somebody, which was kind of surprising. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the other things that I, I see quite often, especially in the trip space, is that there is buyers of a different focus. You know, some are looking specifically at, at secondary or tertiary markets where there's less competition. Others are looking at, uh, at putting new dots on the map. Others are looking to, to fill in uh, excess capacity. So, you know, that, that's it's continuing on what, what our difference is, understanding what each buyer or each potential buyer is looking for in a particular market really helps us position um, the business with less sharp accuracy. But it, it it it's obviously happening. There's a lot of activity in that space. I mean, we heard just this. You know, I I announced last week and the week before on the show. Um, um, you know, there's new acquisitions happening frequently in the shred space. Um, are is it a good time to sell or buy, or is it? You know, I know Bob said earlier that this is a good time for you guys to get into the space. Obviously, it's a good time because things are happening. So. You know, is there a lot of deal flow going on right now, or is it light? What's what's really truly happening? There, there seems to be quite a lot of deal flow. Um, certainly, there was a lot of a lot of talk around the NEED conference, for example. Um, valuations are up. Uh, if you think about, you know, what what drives valuation price, it's uh, it's a demand and supply. Right. So, you know, if if there's a lot of people out there looking for acquisitions, obviously it's going to push the demand up. But, you know, you've got to realize that there are still a lot of uh, a lot of sole source deals being done, in which case somebody out there goes and approaches a, a, a business and says, hey, I want to buy it, and here's my offer. And if the guy the guy that says yes or no, they're, they're really, uh, I, I guess the valuation is based on what that, what that one person is providing as opposed right. to... Um, putting the business out to bid and seeing uh, seeing what the what the market will pay. Right, and it it sounds to me, Bob, like on the other side, on the what we would call the dim side, the um, the records, the, the traditional record centers. There's there, you know, that seems to still be in in activity, but there doesn't seem there's not nearly as many players on that side as in the shred side. What what are you seeing in in the dim space? Well, you're right. There aren't as many players in uh, the document and uh, or the records management, document management spaces. There are in the confidential destruction space, no doubt about it. But you know, kind of to continue Vlad's point, really, what's happened is over the past three years, when the economy kind of fell off a cliff, 
big strategic guys stopped buying companies. The private equity people got shorthand. And there just weren't that many deals that happened. Yeah. And so prices kind of came down. What you see now is prices are probably you know nearly as high as they've ever been. Whether it's going to stay where it goes from here, who knows? Um, there's a lot of private, new private equity money coming into the business. Right. There's existing, very capable private equity guys, and some of the larger strategic players are also becoming more acquisitive. So, to answer your original question, is now a good time to sell? I think you know maybe, but it really depends on the seller. Right. For some sellers. We have, you know, somebody that we're working with who, you know, probably isn't going to sell it anytime soon, uh, probably more into buy mode because he's passing his business along to his family. Um, and I think it depends on somebody's personal circumstances. And they should just never sell a business unless it's the right time for them. And it can help them get to, you know, especially post-tax where they need to be. Well, and it sounds to me like what what you guys bring to the table is the ability to actually look at a, at a as you said from an operational perspective and actually make a a really solid case for waiting to sell a business until a bunch of stuff is in order. It, would would that be a true statement? Spot on. That's you know a big part of what we do is we talk to people about their businesses and we help them do some things that make their business better, whether or not they sell it. And so if, you know, somebody can do something more creative with their density in the records management space or more uh, make their routing a little bit more dense or a lot more dense in the confidential destruction space or be more creative about their business process management solutions, um, you know, those are things that are valuable, whether you keep your business for, you know, 50 years or you keep it for five more months. So, Vlad, back to you. Yeah, and to, just just to expand on on Bob's point, I mean, I you know I'm working with a with a client who uh, really wanted to go go to market uh, pretty much at the beginning of the year, and then uh, as as we basically took on the engagement, and I I went out visited with them, and we talked about their business. They happened to mention that they they were bidding on a on a major account, and uh, you know as as we got involved. Look like they're going to win this major account. In actual fact, uh, you know, two weeks ago I said to the guys, "Look, I think we should suspend this whole deal. Get your account because they are going to win it. Get your account, get her on board, get your business singing along. You know, at, at the new level, and then let's let's attack it again. Because frankly, from their standpoint, it's going to bring them a lot more value. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So what are the mistakes, and Vlad, I'll go back to you on this, what are the mistakes that destruction companies make uh, or tend to make when they're thinking about selling themselves that, that really hamper them? Um, there's, there's a couple of buckets uh, of, of, I guess you'd call them mistakes or, or uh, errors, but you know, one, one of them is that, is that companies that are acquiring uh, in fast growth mode and... Um, you know they, they they like to see they like to see a pattern of growth in a business. Hmm. Um, there are a lot of uh, smaller companies that that are probably happy. You know, as Bob said, they really haven't thought about selling selling for a period of time, and they're happy with the level of level of business they have, and they really haven't been growing their business. Um, so, you know, I, I guess tearing away some of the uh, 
some of the some of the fat from the business. Uh, you see sometimes there are uh, situations where there are there are costs, which which uh, probably don't necessarily need to be there, or or uh, you know people have have ways of doing business that may not be as efficient. Um, you know, so you know back back onto our earlier point. It, it's nice to be able to come in and advise them and say, look, you know, this is how you ought to restructure your business. This is right. how you ought to think about how you do, uh, how you do things, uh, which will really help. Um, the other thing I think where where a lot of companies underestimate the effort needed is the actual the actual effort needed to sell a company. And then again, is is you know, probably a little bit of uh, self promotion, but. Uh, you know, I, I uh, and I spoke on this uh, at a, on a panel at Nade recently, so I did this exercise for that. We um, uh, we sold a business last year, and I actually went through and I looked at uh, how much effort was involved in putting this whole deal together. And I did a uh, I did a search in my email inbox, yeah. and there were fifteen hundred and eighty seven emails relating to this deal over six months. So what I'm saying is that there's a lot of work that goes into putting a deal together. And uh, you know a lot and a lot of man hours, and people who maybe try to go and do a deal on their own and want to run their business at the same time just totally underestimate what's involved. Yeah. And, oh wow. You know, I, one of the biggest. I wouldn't have imagined it would take that much time, but obviously it does. It's it's huge, and one of the biggest deal killers is, is deal fatigue. So in other words, you know, it's a bias is hey, I need this, this, and this information, and uh, you know that sits around for two or three weeks because. Uh, is too busy running a business to respond to him. Nothing, nothing turns off the buyer quicker. So, you know, it, it, it really has, it's a it's a concerted effort, and you really need to keep up the keep up the pace and keep things moving. So, if more people realize what's involved. Um, I think they would they would probably end up being more successful in, in selling businesses as well. Yeah, and Bob, do you have anything to add to that? Because coming from the the document record side of it. Well, no, I, I think Vlad's spot on. Okay. The time sink is enormous, and the only thing I would add is what I would call the emotional sink. Hmm. Um, it's hard to sell your business when the buyer's motivation is to find everything that's wrong with it. Right. So the buyer, and some of them, some do it very respectfully, but it's hard to hear that your baby's ugly. And yeah. maintain, you know, a level head uh, in the whole process without getting mad, without getting emotional. And, you know, there are some very smart buyers out there that know how to work that angle very effectively. So, you know, it's it's a big time sink and it's a big emotional sink. Huh. I never even thought of that side of it. But, but yeah, this is the thing that many, many companies who are getting purchased are ones they've developed on their own from the ground up or built out of their moving company or some other peripheral service. And, and the buyer comes in and basically says it's, it's useless. It's no good. It's yeah. So I, I, I never thought of that, yeah. but that's, that's an interesting and perspective. The buyers, the buyers, job is to, you know, the buyer's really good at buying companies. That's what they do for a living. Right. And the guy, the man or woman or, you know, couple who has worked 15 or 20 years to build a great business, they've not sold many companies before. They're just, they're just, you know, that's not what they do. And then our data shows very clearly they do it poorly. Yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah. Wow. Very interesting. Hey, you know what? I, I'm blown away by by how how quickly time flies when you're talking about interesting stuff. But um, any any kind of final comments in terms of what's happening in the acquisition space that you you want to relay right now? Because I I think again, having had 150 deals between you, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of history there, and there's a lot of of you know stuff that you've seen that very few other people have seen. Uh, any any final thoughts in terms of of what's happening in the acquisition space? Uh, I'll take a shot at that. What uh, I guess I would broaden up my response a little bit wider, but what what I have seen is kind of the core record storage business, a wonderful business that I know yep. and love, yep. becoming a bit commoditized. And smart companies are starting to look at the things that they can do better that solve customers' problems and drive more margin in the business because you're never going to win the cost game against the bigger strategic guys. They will just always have a cost advantage. Right. And, you know, we're seeing, you know, a few people are starting to understand what it means to provide solutions where you move one or two steps deeper into the customer's workflow um, and provide higher value-added solutions that kind of support the relationship that you've got with the customer and kind of moves the discussion away from our space is cheaper than yours and how much does it cost to store a box to let's talk about your problem and how we solve it. Right, right. And and that to me is the catalyst to, to getting out of commoditized uh, orientation. The, the commodity will always live there, but but getting to think in terms of, of value add, in, incredible value add, which is often how to solve a problem is a great way to do it. So, hey, it's been great talking to you guys. Um, it's I, I'm I'm excited that you guys are in the space, and it looks like you're doing some interesting stuff, and uh, hopefully closing some good deals and making making yourselves successful and making a lot of other people people successful. So, I appreciate you being on the show. Hey, I've got a couple of quick questions. I'm going to ask them specifically of each of you because I love to do this on the show. It's more about you as people, less about your business expertise, but um, Vlad, I'll start with you. What's your perfect vehicle? The What's Vlad's perfect vehicle? <laughs> and Bob's laughing. I, I, I think I already have it. <laughs> you already have it, so it would be? I think it's, 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 a, it's a little Mercedes convertible, cool. which I love daily. Okay. All right, and Bob, do you have a perfect vehicle? Well, you know, I don't know about perfect, but boy, a 66 Chevy Corvette, is uh, is awfully tough to beat, and it's not one that I own, by the way. But uh, you know, it's an American-made car. Uh, it's kind of a you know one of the few American sports cars, and it's just an absolute classic. So I guess that's my answer. So okay, Bob, if you if there was a profession you could try, I know you've been in in the the rim world for twenty five plus years. If you could do a profession other than the one you have been in which one would you have loved to have attempted you know i that's a that's a very interesting question um you know as you get a little bit older you start thinking about the kind of you know where you want to spend your time and with yeah. who you want to spend your time i do some volunteer work for big brothers and big sisters and it's a uh and I'm, I'm a big and so my little and i nate have been together now for six years wow and it's you know it's it's a lot of fun and so I I think you know that kind of jumps to mind as something 
either going to do something, you know, if I were going to have a, uh, you know, a second run at a career, I would probably do something along those lines. I think working with kids is great. When you work with them young enough, you really have an opportunity to make a difference and, you know, affect their lives. And you can't do it with everybody, but you, know, you can see little baby steps. And so that's kind of fun and it's a pretty cool thing. Very cool. Vlad, what about you? If you could have done anything else in your life, what would you have done? It's interesting because uh, I, I wanted to start it out wanting to be an architect and uh, kind of got to the sideline on the way doing uh, economics and getting involved in business. So I never, never really did that. But uh, you know, houses, houses always interested me. So you know, one of the, that probably would have been something I would have loved to have done. But uh, yeah, my my younger daughter actually studied architecture. So I guess uh, I guess there is a, there is a facet in the architecture business. So I'm, I'm quite happy with that. Very cool. And final question. If you could have lunch with one person you've never met before but greatly admire, who would it be? Vlad? I will go for Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett. Okay. And Bob, how about you? I'm still thinking. Uh, <laughs> that is a tough one. That is a tough one. I guess Nelson Mandela. All right. It, it just stuns me this day that somebody could be locked up in prison you know, arguably illegally for 20-something years and then walk out and say to the very people that imprisoned him, I forgive you, it's just, you know, I think I don't know that I could do that. So yeah. I'd like to understand that a little bit more. So that's, I guess that would be my choice. Gentlemen, it's been a pleasure. Uh, you are both uh, long veterans of the industry. You've both contributed significantly um, and to the industry, to what has happened in it, and to you know a lot of people through it. So uh, thank you for that, and continued success in your new venture. Uh, it sounds a lot of fun. It sounds like it's an exciting time for you guys, and uh, we hope to hear some cool cool news coming out of you guys as, as the uh, months and years progress. So thanks again for being a part of the show today. Thank, Thank you, Don. All right, we'll Thank talk you, to Don. you soon. Okay, see ya. Well, there you have it. Another show. It was uh, great, and I really appreciate you being here on the show this week. I really am grateful to Bob and Vlad for taking time out of their busy schedules to speak with us today. And Donald Trump, well... Ultimately, thanks to you instead. It was uh, it was good to have you here. Honestly, it was worth it. Well, it was worth it for me, too. Well, that's the show for this week. And as always, we are incredibly grateful to O'Neill Software. And just a calendar note for O'Neill. Be sure to register now and prepare your calendars. It's a long way off, but I want you to be ready for it. O'Neill Software's 2011 Strategic Partner Conference, September 14th to 16th in Surf City, USA. That's in Huntington Beach, California at the beautiful Hilton Waterfront Beach Resort. It's where knowledge, networking, and not working come together to have fun while sponsoring a children's charity. Check it out at O'NeillSoft.com, our exclusive sponsor. Folks, that pretty much sums it up. It's been a good week. Have a good one. We'll talk to you next week. Over and out. Thanks for joining us on the Rim Pro Report with Tom Adams. If you enjoyed the show, please tell others. Our website is www.rimproreport.com where you can find show archives and a whole lot more. This broadcast is produced and hosted by Flourish Press Incorporated. 
join us again soon.